Good morning again, guys. Um, as I mentioned, I'm Jamie Roberts, and you know, last week we started a new sermon series called A New Reality, and Brother Stephen shared a message about being redeemed, and being f- which focused on the first chapter of the book of Colossians. Well, today we are going to dig into the second chapter of Colossians as we explore the new reality of what it means to be released. And it's that, you know, that sweet victory that Jesus Christ provided for us. So before we begin, let's bow in prayer, please. Most holy and gracious Father, we made it today. For many of us, it has been a wild week. Work and activities have filled our time and have run us ragged. And today we find ourselves needing you, needing a little extra encouragement you know, needing some nudging on which scriptures to read, needing a hug from a friend and support from our small groups. But we are here, here to soak up your good news, to let it fuel us and reignite our fires so that we can shine your light out into the world. Today, Lord, we pray over this building and all those who will enter these doors this week, the kids, the educators, the staff, I pray that your goodness seeps into the walls and the chairs. May they feel its draw and its pull, leading them directly to you. Form a hedge of protection over them and around them this week. Shield them from the negative pull of this world and fill them with your love and kindness. Warm their hearts to seek you and to seek the truth that you offer. May they find encouragement and hope in you, Lord. Focus our thoughts on your message. Open our ears and our hearts to your words and help them to sink into our minds. And Lord, today I am just your messenger. Use me as your instrument to bring your message and your words to your people. I'm your humble servant here to do your will for your people. So Heavenly Father, unite our voices as we join and pray the prayer that your son Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, our modern world works really hard to blind us to the everyday reality of our spiritual world. And as Brother Stephen has talked about the last couple weeks, you know, really kind of since Easter, we have to be awakened and consciously aware of what Jesus actually did for us on the cross. And as Christians, we must understand and accept that we are a redeemed people. You know, we have to live like it. And I know for me personally, redemption was one of the hardest lessons for me to grasp. You know, I really spent most of my early Christian life assuming and thinking I was a second-class Christian. I really believed that I wasn't good enough. And that was the work of the enemy. That was him trying to derail me and my faith journey. I mean, he kept telling me that I needed to work harder to be a better Christian. I needed to do more things to earn my place. And that all was and is a lie. You know, it's thoughts like that that do. They distract you and they sideline you from your God-ordained purpose. And those thoughts kept me sidelined for years. 
I mean, they are the best weapon that the enemy has to use against us. But what we need to get over that is a true and authentic encounter with our risen Lord. And that changes our whole perspective. You know, that's when you truly see that Jesus' holiness and his righteousness equally cover all of us. And when we do this, we encounter a brand new reality. That is when we are truly released. And in chapter two of the book of Colossians, we find Paul, and he is addressing the church of Colossia. Now, this church was struggling with a particular problem. You know, they were a brand new church full of brand new Christians. So they were a little more susceptible to some of these things. And on an interesting note, Paul is writing these people. These are people who have no clue who he is. They've never met him. So in an odd reality, it's just like us. So as he's addressing them, he's addressing us. So in chapter 2, verse 6, we read, And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. You know, people come to faith with empty hands, nothing to offer, and just on fumes. But yet, at the foot of that cross, we all receive the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, in this gift... This new life, it should. It should change our perspective and our choices and our entire path forward. So Paul continues to instruct this new church that they need to be rooted in Jesus, to just build their life upon that solid foundation. And it's the perfect formula of what you need to do to grow a strong faith, a strong faith built on the truth of the scriptures. And if you do this, you know, if you root yourself in Jesus and in the Bible, that thankfulness, it just naturally overflows in your life. I mean, trust me, things aren't roses and rainbows all the time. But when those hard times come, those are the things that make it easier to push through and to find the things to be thankful for. It's also one of the reasons, I mean, it's the perfect visual example of why here at the Vine, we adopted the plant water grow statement. It's a visual pattern that we see throughout the Bible that helps us to focus on something as we grow spiritually. So the Colossians, as a new church and new believers, they had a heresy problem. There were old beliefs and old opinions that went against the religious practices and the Christian doctrines that Jesus Christ personally was teaching. This heresy actually challenged the deity and the sufficiency of Christ. Old laws, old rituals, and all of those things that were included in the Old Testament were still being taught. They were still being told them that they needed to be followed. You know, there were the food laws and, you know, all the issues with circumcision. But to Paul, I mean, Paul had already figured this out, that circumcision of the heart was enough. So Paul knew that when we experience, when we have that happen, when we ask Jesus into our heart, when he gets a hold of you and you actually invite him into your life and you actually let him take complete control, that you are never the same. Your mind and your whole life completely change. And as a new believer, you look different. You act different. And that is the change of the circumcision of your heart. 
So actual circumcision was no longer required because of that covenant, because of the promise that Jesus Christ did for us. It was sufficient. Jesus is enough. But they had that legalism that was seeping in. Again, those old laws and those old rules. You know, and they're just something that you do mechanically. Something that there's no meaning to, you just do them. And we've all heard it. Well, why do we do that? I don't know. It's what we've always done. And that's what they were experiencing. So Paul speaks to them again in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or the new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that new reality. So Paul is telling the church that Christ is this new reality and that he would be the new measure, the new standard by which all teachings would be measured. Paul brings it up again in Romans 12.2. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by challenging the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The words of Jesus are clear, and the Apostle John records them and shares them for us in his gospel when we read John 15, 16, and 17. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for when you use my name. This is my command, to love each other. Jesus chose us, and he wants us to live in the freedom of his redemption as his people for the glory of the kingdom. You know, here Jesus is addressing that legalism of the Pharisees head on, and they did not like it. They didn't like that he was challenging the laws and the rules that they had been following for centuries. I mean, they had such a deep and long, steeped history with that. They couldn't let it go. I mean, Christ was right in front of them, but they wanted to hold on to the rules. A life centered in Christ is a life lived in new directions and new focuses. The old things get left behind. You know, Paul talks about a shadow. I mean, we all know what shadows are. We see them, you know, do a little shadow out animals. And shadows occur when something blocks the light, you know, whether it blocks part of the light or all of the light. You know, shadows change, base, change size depending on how close that item is to the light. Shadows are just a distorted image of the original. It's just a mere outline. So Paul is warning us not to fall for the distorted image. He wants us to see and to understand that if there's a shadow, something is in the way. Something is between you and the light of Christ. You know, we do this as a church. We have shadows in our worship and we have shadows in our relationship with God. Things that we allow to block his light in our lives. You know, we live in a society that is fueled by consumerism. You know, we get bombarded with phrases like, have it your way. And, you know, we want everyone to cater to us and, you know, just take care of our every need. You know, the world tells us that we are here to be served. But Jesus, Jesus tells us something completely different, that we are here to serve all. You know, and he modeled that throughout his entire ministry for us. 
I mean, even in that simple moment when we see him washing the disciples' feet. Simple, humble service. So on Sundays, when you come into worship, you know, are you seeking to be served by hospitable greeters, you know, serving up their perfect cup of coffee? You know, are you here expecting just the right portions of God's word? You know, not too fluffy, not too hard, not too sweet, you know, not too edgy and Barbie. You know, do you have expectations about the music and the lighting? You know, is the decor just right? I mean, it can be a real dilemma for some. So what are we supposed to do as sinful consumers? Paul told us that we are to avoid the dark shadows of empty worship and to receive the kindness of the Lord. You know, remember, Jesus released you from all of that. He released you from the empty rituals of worship and those shadows. You have to be released to be able to honestly worship. You are a worshiper. You were created to worship God, to enjoy him and to seek him and to glorify him. And in John 4.23, we read, But the time is coming, Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the, in the spirit of the Father and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And in worship, you know, we need to engage our whole person. And there's a precious old hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. And in it, it says, we worship with our heart and our hands and our voice. You know, we are called to offer all that we are in worship, both the inner person of our heart and the outer posture of our person. I'm taking church history this semester, and it's interesting that a lot of the depictions and the early pictures that, that have still survived are of these new and early Christians, and almost all of them have them with their hands raised to worship. I mean, it's just, they were just so awestruck with it all that they couldn't help but praise. And that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, it changed everything. So God calls us to engage our whole person, to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. I mean, just imagine how powerful it would actually be if everyone in our worship space completely engaged in worship from the inside out. You know, we're called to be contributors, not just consumers. So we have to fight that tendency to make worship all about us and what we get out of it. You know, the lighting, the sound, the song selection. It's not about any of those things. It's all about God and what we are giving back to him. You know, we are all called to offer our worship. And worshiping is not a spectator sport. I mean, we're called to contribute, to be contributors, to come in prayed up, ready to sing, to pray and to engage in God's word and the truth as we bring it. Philippians 4.4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You know, we need to look at the value of substance over style. You know, it's easy to put more stock into how we worship compared to why we worship. And I'm an emotional sap, so I've been moved to tears many times in many different worship settings. I mean, whether it's just that, like, 
you know, foot tapping, just emotional songs of a gospel choir in an AME church. A beautiful Latin homily. If you've ever been in a Catholic cathedral and heard those reverberating notes of an Ave Maria, I mean, those will move you. But it doesn't matter if it's a planned liturgical service or a convicting YouTube short. Whatever the context is, when the spirit moves, the spirit moves, and we just have to be there ready to catch it. You know, Jesus warned us not to prioritize our traditions over God's truth. Paul warns us not to emphasize our ceremonies over his salvation. To avoid prioritizing these, we lose something. We lose the witness where we get to see God's power and his enormity of his presence. And that's the beauty of what Jesus did when he released us. We are released from that pull to be consumers. And we get invited to be contributors, to serve here, to serve this church, to serve our church family, and to serve our community as kingdom builders. And when we do that, it keeps us connected to part of the body. In Colossians 2.18, we read, Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You know, through Jesus, we are connected. And being connected is, is what allows God to feed us. In John 17, 20, we read, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And that's us, guys. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That should take your breath away. I mean, that is Jesus Christ actually interceding to his Father for you. We, released, we have been released by Christ. We are part of the body, and we are commissioned to be part of God's church and his kingdom. We are called to be rooted in Jesus and in the scriptures and to carry that word out into the world. Jesus wants the world to see him through us. Ephesians 4.14. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more to be like Christ who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know, true spiritual uh, maturity does not come 
from compliance to old laws and legalistic shadows. But it comes from a true connection to Jesus Christ and that relationship with him. Without that vital connection to the head, which is Jesus, the body of Christ cannot grow. And using the parallel image, you know, Jesus told us, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We have been released. We don't belong to this world anymore. Jesus' sacrifice released us from that. We are connected to God the Father through Jesus to be a part of his true vine. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise, but they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. And Romans 6, 9. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. In this letter, you know, Paul reminds us to fill our complete vision with Jesus Christ, to focus on the original so that all of the imposters and the frauds are exposed. You know, this means that we need time to study and to learn, to focus on Jesus and his ways. Paul wants us to take that time to intentionally make time to consider who he was and what Jesus' mission was all about. And it's a reminder exactly of what Jesus did for you and for me, what Jesus did for all of God's precious sons and daughters to make sure that we were truly and finally released from this world. Paul assures us to the, that the more we focus on Jesus, the more we become like him. You know, Jesus set that perfect example for us, released followers of Christ, living as resurrection people, moving against the grain of normal society. Just like the Colossians, we need to remember that Jesus released us from all of those human rules and those old covenants. So when life gets confusing and it gets hard and it, you just have to push the world's worries and the chaos aside, Lock your gaze and focus on God's son. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. I mean, this has to be a change of perspective. This is a way to live as redemption people. This is the way that we move forward and we break that bondage. And the more we focus on Jesus, the more we read about Jesus and learn, the closer our relationships become and the more like him we become. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to turn wholeheartedly to you. Lift the veil from our eyes and show us all of the things and all of the items that distract us. Help us to remove those shadows so that we can focus clearly on you and your light. We need to focus on the plan that you have for us, both individually and as a church. So help us to see that plan forward clearly. Lord, you blessed us with the Holy Spirit as a guide. Wherever the Spirit is and the Spirit leads, we know there is freedom. 
So remove the veil so that we can see the bright light of Christ and reflect his glory and all of that for the Lord to his people. God, you didn't make us just merely here to consume. You made us to cultivate, to steward, and to bless others. So here we are. Use us, move us, and guide us out into this world to be the powerful force that you need us to be. It's a dark world and there's scary things going on out there, but with us, fueled by your power and led by your son, you have a great and mighty act and power for us to do. It is in your name that we trust and pray. Amen.